Welcome back to our two-part real-life love story. This week we get to talk about the good stuff, the solution in looking for addiction recovery. We really dig into what worked for us, how it worked, why it worked, and how you or someone you love who struggles with addiction can find it too. Neil and I both really hope that if you're feeling hopeless, either because you struggle with addiction or you're in a relationship with someone who's an addict, that what we share in this interview will help you find hope. Really, the turning point, I mean, even during this time, I was still struggling. I was trying not to, you know, not to act out or, or engage in the addiction, but it was still a hard time for me. And I got to a point where I was lying about the addiction. I, was, I wasn't, one of the, the things that we had worked out in our relationship was that I would be honest with Corinne. Um, like, hey, like, at least just be honest with me when you're engaging in it or if you've had a slip or a relapse or something happened with it, you you know, just tell me. I need to, you know, we we, we kind of established that as a, as a baseline. And through a series of events, I mean, honestly, I came to a conclusion. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to lie about it. I already lied. I, I don't want to continue to hurt my wife. So if I just keep it from her and then like I'll get over it and I'll get back on the right track but she won't. So I'll just not say that I slipped, but then I'll just correct it and, and get on the right path. And that, and I knew that didn't work for me because I'd been trying to do that the whole time. But every time I tried to do that, I, it, I couldn't stay sober. I couldn't lie to my wife and stay sober is what I figured out. And I figured it out the hard way. So the last time I relapsed, I had been lying for, I don't know how many months. And then she caught me in a lie. Um, you know, it found something. And basically at that point, like it kind of just was like, man, I, I've just burned all bridges here. Like I, I don't have any trust with my wife. She can't believe a word that I say, and I don't blame her for it because I don't deserve her trust. And, and a I hard think, relapse for me too. and I think for your standpoint, you're just kind of like, nothing works. We've done yeah. everything we can think of. And here we are same place. Yeah. And I remember just that, that one hit me hard. There were, there were ones that were harder than others, but that one really just for some reason, I just was like, I don't know how many more times I've described it before as when you find out you've been lied to for a long time, it feels like a semi truck runs you over and you just are laying there in a pile of bones trying to be like, okay, I guess I'll pick myself back up and just keep doing this. And I had a little like mini emotional meltdown. I don't know how many it was, but it was it was a meltdown for sure. And I remember calling my friend Mandy, who became my sponsor and is my dear friend. But I just called Mandy and I said, I'm just so sick of this. I can't do it anymore. I, I just don't know how many times I can do this anymore. And it's not like I was calling or saying, I want to get divorced. I just was like, I like, just what do I even do? I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired of this. And she said, well, are you calling me for sympathy and you want me to just listen to you? Or are you calling me because you want to do something about it? And I was like, I'll do anything. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. And she was like, you need to work the steps. So that wasn't something I loved to hear, especially previously. Like when I heard, I know Mandy had done the steps herself and I'd heard of other wives. Nobody in our area was doing, as a wife, was doing the steps. But I had heard of people doing that. And I was like, this is not my addiction. Like, I don't have anything to, you know, admit that I'm powerless to or whatever. But I had actually just kind of dabbled in the steps. And I was, like, trying to be on step two. I had, like, filled out some of the answers. And I was like, this is so ironic because I'm supposedly on step two, which is hope. 
and I have no hope. What, where, how am I supposed to have any hope? And she was like, you know, you just need to push through to step three. And she was like, as a spouse, step three is where the magic is. And I was like, okay, I'm going to trust her. And I, I did it. And step three really changed my whole life because that was where I just said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to try to control this. I'm not going to whatever Neil chooses to do that's on him. And I am not going to carry this heavy burden one more day. I think that was a big moment for me, too, because I think so much of the time, based on just our early trying to figure things out, I think I'd set up a situation where I, like, became codependent or relied on her as my sponsor. And I'm like, okay, well, you tell me. But then I get resentful when she'd come back and with correction or – and so it was almost like I'm trying to get her to recover from me or, like, rely on, like – and what that as, would, yeah, you know, what that would look like is something like out of great intentions, me saying to Neil, like, "Well, you slipped. You better go talk to the bishop. Did you set up an appointment? When are you going to talk to him?" Stuff and like it was that. Like, where you know, your mom, kind of like when you're a little kid and you forget your lunch at at home, and you know, you keep doing it over and over and over again, and then your mom just keeps bringing it back to you, bringing mm-hmm. it back to you. You never learn how to take your own lunch to school, and it's it's and a, it, your parents do it for yep. you. And this was me saying, you know what, Neil? If you starve, like that's on you. Like it's all on you. And so I think at that <laughs> moment, it almost was just freeing. It was like okay, like freeing, but also the responsibility landed back squarely on my shoulders. It was either sink or swim, and it was all me. Like I I couldn't I could no longer blame Corinne. Like I couldn't blame you anymore for, you know my addiction. It was like, look, if, if I relapse or there's, it's, it's all me. And so at that point I had burned all my options and I was burned out too, because I'd been trying forever to fix this thing. And I just couldn't regardless of what was at stake. So finally I'm like, look, okay, I've been going to these meetings. This guy's telling me that if I work the steps, this will work. Like, you know, I, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder initially about ARP. I was like, oh, this is watered down AA. This isn't the real deal. This is cheesy, blah, 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 blah. But as I'd, I'd kind of overcome that once I'd seen how these meetings were, were going and being run. So finally, I just sat down. I'm like, okay, I'm going to open this manual. And whatever this thing tells me to do, I'm going to do it. And once I finish a step and I write out the questions and I underline and I think about it, and then I try and apply it each day for you know a, a month or so or a week or however long it takes me to get through the step, after each step, I'm going to, I'm going to call this guy who I'd talked to about being my sponsor and I'm going to talk to him about it. And if I struggle in between, I'm going to shoot him a call. I'm going to ask him questions and just follow up. I'm just going to try and work the program very simply, nothing fancy at all. You know, didn't, no, no flashy, you know, terms or anything crazy or, you know, large amounts of money or, you know, give us 30 grand and, you know, we'll get you healed. Nothing like that. It was just very simple. And as I did that consistently, you know, and, and we sat down and worked the steps and worked the steps and reached out, went to meetings, asked for help, did these simple things that people were telling me to do. Like, I just noticed that that desire just began to leave. Like peace change started to happen. It was really gradual. It took, you know, it took time, but I, it was different and things started to change for me. And as I got further and further through the steps, that change became more and more, it grew and grew and grew. And I noticed my abstinence or my sobriety was the, the length was, was building. You know, I, I was abstaining from, from any form of, of engagement in the addiction. And the, the longer as I, I was abstaining, the more I was working these steps and, and understanding and working these principles or being in recovery, like the better I was feeling. 
And, you know, I think it took me about a year to get through all 12 steps. And I think Corinne, you finished probably about the same time. Yeah, it took me about a year too. And, and that what's interesting, I think for me, from my perspective is that, you know, when, when Mandy said like, what are you, are you willing to do what you need to do? Are you willing to do the work? And I really was, that was my rock bottom of saying, I'm willing to do anything because I'm just sick of this. What I didn't exactly realize was that there was a lot of work ahead of me. And when you do the steps, for me, the magic is that you realize that you're on equal ground with everyone. Because so you do steps one through three, you admit that you're powerless. And the, and the way that I explain now when, I, when I'm a sponsor to people who are like, how do I do step one? Like, I'm not an addict, but my spouse is or my child is or whatever. You change one word and it makes perfect sense. You admit that you're powerless to overcome your husband's addiction and that your life has become unmanageable. That's exactly true. And then, you know, the hope for me was that was tough because, you know, I just relapsed. But, you know, I followed my sponsor's direction and pushed through to step three and just did a literal Jesus take the wheel. I handed I handed the problem over to God and said, I'm not going to carry Neil's burden anymore. I am going to completely give my life and will over to God and surrender this problem. And then after that, all the work starts. Steps four through nine is you digging into all of your crap and figuring out how to make things right for yourself, for other people, how to overcome your character weaknesses, how to make amends. I mean, it's 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 work, but that's where I found equal footing with Neil and, and was able to heal from so many of the things that I was like, there were many years where I looked at him and said, said in my heart, like, I don't think I can ever forgive you for some of the things that happened. And now I, I look back and I'm like, I truly have no resentment. I have no anger or resentment or harbor ill feelings about some of the things that we've been through because of the work that I did. I love it in the meeting at the very beginning when the group or is it the facilitator? The facilitator reads at the beginning of every meeting something about friends and family who practice these same 12 steps will find hope and healing. And I have such a strong belief that that's true because I've done it myself, you know, and it's just like the same thing. It's the same thing as like when we go to church and people have questions about really, you can throw out almost any question in the world. And the answer every time is going to be pray, read your scriptures, go to church. Like the reason those three answers work, pray, read your scriptures and go to church over and over and over again is because they're true because they work. And specifically with addiction, addiction recovery, and then people who are trying to find, like, I I just remember feeling like I was drowning in just feeling like it was never going to get better. There was so much despair. I just felt like I, and I, I felt so confused because I felt like Heavenly Father told me to marry you. Like, I felt like he said, yes, this is the right thing. You should marry Neil in the temple. And then when we had those years, and I'm talking seven years, I remember that last meltdown that I had, I told you, like, I am seven years tired of this. I remember, yeah. And there just were seriously years of me 
crying myself to sleep, crying in the shower, crying in the closet of just feeling like, and, and just feeling rage and anger. Like, I don't know, like, I can't do anything to make this better. It doesn't matter what we try. It doesn't matter if I'm angry or if I'm sad or if I'm beg Neil, or if I try to be super spiritual, like I can't make him do what I want him to do. And that was just it. It was like, when I finally said, I'm going to stop trying to make him do what I want him to do. And I'm just going to make myself okay. That's where all, that's where everything changed. That's where the magic happened. And sorry to get back to my point about like, just like how most of life's questions can, and the, our challenges can be answered when we go to church and we ask any kind of complicated question. The, the answer is almost always pray, read your scriptures, go to church. With addiction, the answer almost every time is work the steps. And even tonight, you know, somebody who I sponsor was sent me a text about her husband and a question she had about him. And the answer with her and was basically like, it's not particular to her. It's not particular to anyone that I sponsor or try to help. It's the same answer that Mandy gave me is the answer almost every single time, which is do the work, do the steps, because you cannot control someone else's actions. You can't, I, there was literally nothing in the world that I could have done to force you to stop acting out or stop looking at things or stop trying to numb out your pain. Oh. I sometimes bring up this example that one time I was going out of town and I was like, I'm going to lock up everything, make sure every password is on everything. I'm going to voodoo trap the whole entire house and make sure nothing is you could possibly get into anything. And then I left and guess what? You outsmarted me. I think you went to like a red box and found something <laughs> that home. And it's just, it's only funny because it's like, it's like if an addict wants to use their drug of choice, they're going to figure it out every time. Like they're going to find a way and nothing you can, there's nothing you can do to guilt them or force them or coerce them into wanting that until they want it for themselves. And that's just the point that I came to where I was like, okay, I can't control his addiction. And so doing the steps really that not only did it just set me free, but it also gave me this incredible opportunity to just understand the atonement of Jesus Christ and know the Savior in such an intimate way where I needed him. And, and where I needed Jesus in the same way that every other addict that goes to a 12-step meeting needs to find their higher power. And for me, that's Jesus Christ. And so I, you know, in, in, so maybe we just quickly go through like what the steps are. So I, like I said a minute ago, step one is admitting that you're powerless to overcome your family member's addiction. Step two is trying to find some hope. I wasn't very good at that. So I kind of skipped over to step three, which was handing the problem over to Jesus Christ and saying, I'm really, I'm not going to try controlling Neil. I'm not going to check his phone anymore. I'm not going to ask him questions. I'm not going to have these emotional battles with him. I'm just done. I'm just going to let it go and let him choose his own destiny. And I'm going to focus all that energy, take all of the craziness that I was putting toward fixing Neil and I'm going to point it toward fixing myself instead. And then, and you really have to do that with step three, because then you're ready for step four and from four through nine, you're doing your own, like digging all of your stuff out and working on yourself. So 
Step four, you write down all of the, um, for me, I used an AA sheet, like a worksheet, and I wrote down all of my fears, resentments, and misconduct in three different, in like those three different categories. And I just wrote them all down. And it took me about 90 days of having anxiety and freaking out about it and three days to just three early mornings to sit down and just finally like hammer it out and get it done. And as soon as I got that done, I wanted to get my step five done as fast as I could. And step five was sitting down with my church leader. So that was my bishop. And then also sitting down with my sponsor and just going through all the things on on my step four inventory. And that was powerful. It was powerful for me to really dig out every single skeleton in my closet, everything that I resented and everything that I was afraid of, and just go through all those things thoroughly with my spiritual leader and with my sponsor. Step six, I had to get ready to to give up my character weaknesses. And then step seven, I asked God to take those away. And that was like scarier than it sounds like when you're really looking at, okay, what are my character weaknesses and what do I need to overcome? And then step eight, I wrote down a list of people who I had wronged and I became willing to try to make restitution with them. And then in step nine, I I went and made restitution with as many people as I could on that list. There's still a few people on my list, but I've made restitution with just about everyone. And then 10, 11, and 12 are like the maintenance steps. So those are the ones that Neil and I and anyone who has recovery and is in recovery tries to do every day. So 10 is like taking that daily inventory and of where you're wrong and when you are promptly admitting it and trying to make it right. And 11 is seeking the Lord's will and asking him to have the power to carry it out, like whatever Heavenly Father wants you to do, just being willing to do it. And then step 12 is keep living these 12 steps and share the message with others. So that's really why we decided to to be transparent and honest and open about this story is because we we wanted to help other people the way other people had helped us and kind of like a 12-step saying is freely give what's been given to you am i saying what that was right? freely given yeah we want to give freely of what was freely given to us so maybe you can pick up from there well i mean it's the same thing for me i mean really it's it's independently working my own program when Karen came to me and said hey whatever you do it's on you and she didn't mean it in a vengeful way, but just in a very matter of fact way, put it back on me. And so that was my solution as well, um, which I knew all along. But I think really it, it took a point to where the pain of the, of the well, I was really trying to, the, to, to work the program, but the pain of the solution becomes less than the pain of the problem. And for me, that happened. I think I, I just felt like I had exhausted all my resources. I tried my my own way of working the steps or working a program. And, you know, I could list off a whole laundry list of things that I was doing to try and overcome the challenge. But really, I, I think deep down was still holding on to it. And I think I got to the point where I was like, okay, you know what, I'm willing to let go and just and just do this. And that's kind of what it came, came down to. And it still comes down to today is whenever you know, things are, you know, I, I sketch out or, or feel like some negativity creeping in or anything like that. The solution, it, it continues to be like, go back to the step that I'm on, you know, and, and it was like that working through the steps in the beginning. And it continues to be like that today. I mean, even, you know, I've been working with a counselor or a grief, a therapist on grief, just after losing my brother a couple months ago, 
you know, trying to understand how to work that. And I'm like, okay, I, I understand the 12 steps and I'm trying to figure this whole grief thing out. It's, it's kind of a different animal. Um, but even meeting with him the, the other night, I was like, I had a question for him. I'm like, well, how do I, you know, how do I balance out working through my grief while at the same time still meeting the responsibilities and obligations of, of my life, day-to-day responsibilities? Like, what do I do to balance that out? And as we talked about it, it just popped into my mind. I'm like, step 10, you take a personal inventory each day. Am I doing enough? Am I doing too little? Am I taking care of my basic spiritual, physical, emotional needs? Is there anything, you know, each day as I make maybe mistakes or I'm a little quick with, you know, short with somebody or, or whatever, like correcting those on the spot. Like once again, it was just a testament to me. That's where the solution is, is it's, it's in the step that I'm on. And then as I, you know, continue to do that and and make a, a spiritual connection in 11 and then share with others what, what I've, I've learned and what my story and, and testimony of, of, you know, the steps and, and the changes taking place, that allows me an opportunity to serve and that, and service always makes me feel better and puts me into a better spot and, you know, has been one of probably the strongest things to help me, you know, in a time of, of challenge and grieving. So that's kind of what it's always come back to for me is it's a pretty simple solution in, in, you know, step-by-step process and what I need to do each day, but it really comes down to work. It's work, it's hard work. And, and, and it's, it's something that needs to be consistent. And a lot of times it's contrary actions. It's doing the thing that I know I should do, but that I don't want to do. It doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel, you know, it's not like the knee jerk reaction. Like, oh, I just, I just don't want to pray today or I don't want to, you know, reach out and talk to somebody about, you know, how I'm doing today. Basically, I need to do the opposite. So that's kind of what it looks like for me. And the meetings so, are a big part of that and keeping me in the right way and course correcting me each day yeah, or each week. It's, it's important for both of us. I want to talk a little bit about, I feel like we get a lot of messages. We've gotten emails, lots of DMs from people just asking a lot of the same questions over and over. Like, how did your relationship ever recover from this, you know? And I remember hearing other people's, like, stories of, like, oh, now we're so happy. And now we've, you know, this is, like... And it just was hard for me to, I remember, in fact, we talked about Jay and Lexi earlier. Like, I remember looking at Lexi and be like, being like, no, there's no way this chick went through what I went through. She's too happy. And like, you'd go into meetings and people would be like laughing and joking. And I remember just like resenting it at first being like, there's no way these people are going through the turmoil and the chaos and the heartbreak that that I'm experiencing every time that I get hit by that semi truck of like you've been lied to again and I get these messages from people just in despair and I and I understand because I know how hard that is and I know how it feels but I guess I want to share from my perspective that if there's 
like I, we can only speak for ourselves, right? Neil and I can only speak for what has worked for us. But like, I I truly, the incredible thing about, for me, it's the atonement of Jesus Christ is that like the ability for the savior to take something that's broken and heal it completely is something that I've never known in a way that I do now because of what we've been through with just watching, yeah, watching the the Savior's atonement make what was wronged right again and make things whole and make things feel like things that I, I mean, I remember, and I've shared this in meetings so many times, but I remember sitting in the hospital on Mother's Day after I had Lila finding out that you had relapsed on Mother's Day when I had a brand new baby. And I just remember being just full of rage and like, how could you do this to me on Mother's Day? I'm sitting here with this brand new baby. Like, I will never forgive you, you know, and just feeling like you're always going to owe me for this, like just being angry. And, and after doing these steps and doing this work, and I think there's just some extremely humbling moments where you're going to go like ask someone for forgiveness for something you did wrong, or you're, you've written down every single misconduct that you've done. And you're going to go like confess that to someone where like, you just feel so humbled. And like, it doesn't literally doesn't matter what anyone else in the world has done. Like you just need Jesus as bad as anyone ever has. And, and after that, like, there's no, like, I'm right and you're wrong or like I'm not as bad as you are. I don't know. I just like it created a humility for me to look at my need for the Savior. And and it just in in doing that, it, it somehow magically healed all of the things that happened with us. Yeah. Am I saying that in a way that even makes sense? No, that sense? makes sense. I, I mean, I know. think and I think really the way that it worked for us is independently as we both independently worked on our own selves spiritually that that in turn healed our relationship Mm -hmm. and and there was a recovery within our relationship because of you know i've had a few people show me this it's kind of like a triangle where the bottom corners of the triangle are like you and your spouse and then the top the point of the triangle is god and as you both independently get closer to God, you get closer together. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's kind of what happened as, as what I saw happen was as we independently worked our program and worked our spirituality and got closer to God, that that brought us closer together and healed the the relationship. And it's something, I I mean, I say healed and, you know, I don't know, I'm, I, I believe in full spiritual health restoration through, you know, the atonement of Christ, like that's there. But I think a lot of times that can imply that like, I'm done. Like I don't have to do anything now no. or like <laughs> now I can just go back. I don't have to pray. I don't have to no. work on it. Like it, it's, it's the, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, I eat a big meal at Thanksgiving. Like I'm going to be hungry the day after yep. or two yep. days after. Like I, every day I have to spiritually do things that keep me in in fit spiritual condition and that's why 10 11 and 12 are and there. that's the whole point of 10 11 and 12 yeah. and it, and the big book talks about you know you receive a day of the reprieve based on your maintenance of a fit spiritual condition well when we went to rehab and i remember they would bring in these couples who would tell their stories and be like oh you know this program like you know, if you, if you pay all this money, like you can be just like them. And then being done with that program. And we were 
like just as bad off, if not worse. I don't know. Neil has different feelings than I do about rehab, but I just felt like, okay, it didn't work. And so that, I think that's why I was so jaded. But, but when we went to ARP and when we heard these people's stories, there was something different about it. There's something different about hearing people's shares in, in one of these ARP meetings where like, you just feel the spirit, like you feel it and there's no denying it. You know what I mean? Like you just can feel the change that's happened. And like, we've just watched so many, we've watched marriages come back together. We've watched people with, I mean, crazy, crazy circumstances, love and forgive and heal. We've watched it just individuals too. Like I, I will never forget that. I won't even say the gender of this person, but there was a person that came to one of the first meetings that I went to and they were like they were on drugs at their first meeting. And I remember being like, whoa, like, I don't know that I had ever seen someone on hard drugs before in it, in real life, like in that close of proximity. But I like this person was high and like, you could tell in the way they spoke and their actions. And then fast forward a few years, like they just kept coming. They kept coming to the meetings. They kept coming. They took the recovery really seriously. They started doing steps. They got a sponsor. And this person went on to just like from the living on the streets in LA being on hard drugs to like turning their life completely around going to BYU and then getting married in the temple like just it was a miracle to watch that transformation don't you think I know you know who I'm talking about no I know exactly you're talking about and I and I mean that's yeah, I've heard it said in meetings, like, no one comes to ARP or AA or NA or whatever on a winning streak. It's not like, <laughs> hey, my life's going so good, I'm going to go to a 12-step meeting and, you know, get into AA. It's like people roll in through that door who they're, like, in the process of losing their family or their mm-hmm. marriage or they just lost their family. Like, and not just that, like, everything. Like, I just lost my family. I just lost my, you know— my marriage, I just lost my career. Like I just got out of jail. I just, you know, all of these different things to where it's like these circumstances like are so intense, but the miracle of it is to watch them in the, in, in those who take it seriously and, and do the work and or show up consistently and keep coming back and working the program and all, you know, doing all the right things you watch that transformation happen and I don't even think they see it in themselves. I know I didn't see it in myself, but then all of a sudden a year later, a couple of years later, like the, the transformation is just, and not even that a lot of times quickly is yeah. night and day. And and they get, you know, I keep, I always think of that, that country song, like, uh, what do you, you know, what do you get when you play a country song backwards? Like you get your wife back, you get your horse back, you get your dog. I don't know. <laughs> like I think of that when I think of recovery meetings, like you see people get like, boom, they get into a good career again. They like get, you know, find a good relationship again. They get, mm-hmm. you know, they're seeing their kids again. It really is things, cool. Like, you see people just like the blessings just like rain down on these people because they start putting their lives back together because they, they work the steps. They get close to, to God again. It's just, it's so cool. And I feel truly, I used to resent it so much. I hated it when I would hear people say like, oh, I'm so grateful for my addiction. I would be like, ew, gross. There's no way that you've experienced addiction like we have for the past seven years. I would just, 
it was like such a turnoff to me to hear that. Like, oh, that's such a cute thing to say. Like, I'm grateful for my addiction. I am so grateful for the blessing and the gift that it has been for us to learn really what the atonement of Jesus Christ can do because we know intimately ourselves and through hearing and watching other people's lives changed and ours as well because of seeing where someone can come from and where they can end up if they will turn their life over to God. It's just, there's, I don't know. So I'm no, and I, and I think even in saying that though, like I, I think it, it isn't the reality of it. And someone described it to me in this way, like as you get, you know, time and recovery, you're further down the road, but you're just as close to the ditch. I mean, like you can still, I, I think that it's important to note that like a lot of times I think people can get the notion of like talking oh, about recovered? like, oh, like I'm good back, back when I had this problem, wow. I kind of struggled here for a few years, but then I pulled like people love to hear a comeback story. But the reality of it is, is like I live, I, I have to choose my, to live my life differently each day. And, and they're, you know, and that's okay. Like, and, and not only is it okay, like I get to, and that's a blessing, but it requires daily action and, and daily right. positive spiritual action to do that. And so like, if I am continually working my program and I get this question a lot is like, well, dude, don't you graduate? Like, don't you, you know, do step 12 and you're done? Like it has aren't to you done be going to those meetings yet? like, aren't you <laughs> saved or whatever? Like, yeah. Like, Hey man, cool. Do six weeks of it or whatever. Then you're off of your, you know, drugs or whatever. And then you go, it really, it's a lifelong progression and it's not just not doing something, but it's spiritually developing yourself throughout your life. Well, and that's and the I, whole plan. Yeah. And I will say that there are some people who get lucky. We've known a handful of people who they go through the steps, they get sober and, and they're lucky and they're okay to, you know, my grandpa was that way. He got sober, he did the steps and he did not go back to being an alcoholic. Sadly, it just, you know, his lungs and his liver we're done. He died at a super young age. But once he did the steps, he never went back to alcoholism. However, most people aren't so lucky. And we watch people every time someone comes back to the meetings and they've relapsed, Neil makes a point to go up to them and ask them like, so what happened? Like what, you know, can you just share with me like what kind of put you back in this space? And And every time, what do they say? It's the same thing every time. Well, it's like, oh, I stopped going to meetings. Mm -hmm. I stopped working the steps. I stopped. They just basically did the opposite of whatever, you know, brought them success. And the reason why I ask that, I think it can sound like a, like, well, God, where are you at? What, why did you relapse? Like, but it's not that way. Really why I ask them is like, hey, I want to know, you know, almost selfishly so that I, that I remember when, you know, in, in maybe a moment where I don't feel like taking a spiritual action so that I remember what that can look like to, to remember. So when that, like, that's what helpful is helpful for me. When I see somebody come through the door, who's wrecked, I can remember what that was like and be like, man, I remember that. And I need to be honest with the fact, honest with myself that I could be there. I could be that again. If, if I so chose my way out of the life that I'm living now, which is a positive, spiritually engaged life, like it can still go that way if I so chose it to go that way. But that's not what I want. And so I'm like, you know, what a blessing to be in a room or a spot where you can be reminded of that, but then also know and see, you know, the hope 
and the and, and the miracles that are in the in the room that that change has happened and that people are living their lives in a different way and it you know and these are people that never thought that change was possible i i was one of those persons i thought that i was what they would call terminally unique <laughs> like the atonement applies to everybody but me you know the 12 steps works for everybody else but me i'm i'm unique i'm different none of this stuff works for me and because of that fact i'm going to die and i'm going to die alone and and i love i think somebody said at one time they're like dude you're not that special like <laughs> like you're not so special that this doesn't work for you that that you know the atonement of christ does not work for you and so i'm like that's really what I've discovered through that. But it all hinges on willingness and agency. And that you, the word willingness is is used significantly throughout the steps, um, is becoming willing or being willing to take actions. Obviously, it's not perfect, but it's it's a willingness. So these are just some, you know, solution-wise, what I found for me um, and what I'm continuing to find. It's an ongoing process of, of working, you know, working all this out. But I think it's a growth. Uh, I like somebody said that in uh, step 10, they talked about step 10 being a growth step as well, where you are, are spiritually growing each day and you're not just maintaining, but you're actually developing and growing. So t- tonight at the meeting, we heard a super great, I thought it was so awesome. That quote that our friend Keith, shared, he who shall not be named shared. <laughs> we don't share names of people who are at the meetings, but he shared a really great quote from a BYU speech that was given recently. I just thought it was so great. So I'm going to just like read a tiny bit of it. He read the whole thing, but just, just cause I want to kind of end off with this same idea that what you were talking about being terminally unique. Cause I know there are going to be people who listen to this and they're like, well, that sounds great for this Instagram couple, but yeah, like, it's awesome. It's not that gonna... works for you, but mm-hmm. I'm different. My situation is different. Yep. And this is what that quote says. But what if I feel unworthy? I would like to leave one final thought with you today. Some of you may be thinking the gospel might work fine for other people, but not for me. I've made mistakes, lots of them. Sometimes I make the same mistakes over and over. I try to repent, but it doesn't take. I feel ashamed and guilty. I'm not like others in my family or in my ward. To all who feel defective in some way, may I tell you a secret? We are all defective. You, me, everyone. But you say, I'm a special case. I think I make too many mistakes too often. Yes, you're mortal. All mortals fall short time and time again. Mistakes are events on the timeline of your life, but they don't define you. They don't define you as a person or as a child of God. And we'll link to this speech in the show notes because it's excellent. But I think maybe I'll just kind of let you close out, Neil, with how like what's your testimony to people who feel terminally unique and who feel like that's great that this worked for them but it's never going to work for me um i think honestly i i understand that i know how you feel and i felt the same way and you know i yeah i know how that feels but the truth of the matter is there is hope and there is light and the, and there is a plan i think for for everybody and for you specifically i know that there's a plan for me and i think that there's an infinite amount of love that we can tap into by spiritually taking these actions that's available to us that god is just he's just waiting he's just waiting on the other side of the door 
but there's not a handle on his side. The handle's on on our side or on my side. I'm the only one that can open that. And I, you know, I, I think I just envision, you know, God on the other side of that, just with so much love and so much hope and desire, just just waiting. Like, come on, please, just open that door. Just please let me help you. But God's the perfect gentleman. Um, he's not going to infringe on agency. We we have to we have to be willing, and I had to be willing in order to allow that to happen. But no one's beyond the grasp of, of, you know, the hand of God. And I just, I guess I'll share my testimony too of, I want to say to the woman who might be listening to this, who feels like all I've heard and all I've been able to find are discouraging stories of how bad this is and how it can ruin your marriage and how it's going to ruin your family. And, and, I feel like there's no end to this and I can't find happiness. And most of all, the thing that I struggled with so much with Neil was I felt like his actions dictated my happiness. If he was in a good spot, then I could be in a good spot. But if he wasn't, then I was a prisoner to whatever his choices were. And I want to promise you that if you are ready to do the work, you don't have to Honestly, like you don't have to be the victim of anyone else's choices but your own. You can have your own relationship with the Savior. You can work the steps and you can find peace and joy and and be free. You can be free of feeling like you need to control someone else's decisions, that you need to babysit their addiction, that you need to try to fix everything or make them feel bad enough that they want to change or make them feel loved enough that they want to change or whatever. But None of those things are your responsibility and you're only responsible for yourself and your own salvation, your own happiness, your own connection with God, your own peace. And when you are ready to do the work to find that, it's there. It's just waiting for you. And the Savior is waiting for you to give him that burden. And when you're ready to do that, he really will take it away. I felt like a thousand pounds of bricks were taken off of my chest and, and, the Savior was like, stop carrying this around by yourself. You don't need to. I will do it for you. And when I did that, I found immediate peace. And the work that I did after that helped me find so much joy, so much happiness. And just that like closeness with the Savior that I feel like once I figured out what that felt like, I never wanted to, I never wanted to go back on that. And Whatever we do, I just want that mom or that wife who might be sitting there feeling like it's never going to get better to know it can get better. And most of all, you you don't have to wait on anyone else for it to get better. That you can take your recovery and your happiness and find that for yourself. Hey, thanks again for listening to this week's episode. We have one more small segment to share with you. We're going to end today's episode with a share from Neil in our 12-step meeting last week where he talks openly about finding solution in recovery and what works for him. Many people just like us who are just struggling in their marriage or struggling themselves and suffering in silence, feeling like they're the only one. And so that was a huge leap. We felt a pull to do it, and, and it was so, like, I resisted for a long time. But once I worked through the steps and got to that point, it was a decision that we made, and I broke down with anonymity. And that has been something for me personally in my recovery 
that has been just an anchor. It just anchors in everything I felt like I did in the first 11 steps. And recovery for me is a living, breathing thing. I have to, it's, I can't just hang my hat and be like, cool, I got through the 12 steps, like I'm good. I'm going to go back out to my life and just go back to being who I was before. It just doesn't work that way. One of the paradoxes of recovery that my sponsor told me um, was if you want to keep it, meaning recovery, you got to give it away. And I, f- I had that impression distinctly when I got to step 12. I was like, man, if I want to keep this thing, I feel like I really have made a change in my life here that's a result of the atonement of Jesus Christ. I feel different. He changed something in myself that I, that I could not do. Um, if I want to retain that, I have to give it away. And um, that's been one of the greatest blessings for me is the opportunity to share that. And it's through testimony. And, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. You don't necessarily have to break your anonymity to do step 12. Um, you know, there's opportunities to, to within the 12-step program to be a sponsor, to help others, to walk people through the steps, or just in sharing testimony with those who know, you know, you're, you know who are struggling or, or whatever. But what I found about with step 12 is in order to have something for me to give when I get to 12, I have to do steps one through 11. I think a lot of times it's easy to get into the program and like one and two, you're just fired up and you're stoked. And this happened to me. And it's like, you've never experienced this before. And you just want to blast out and start sharing it. Be like, man, I found this. And like, I got the answer and I got the solution. And that's great. Um, but what I found for myself is like, I struggled with relapse. My story is riddled with relapse over and over and over and over again. And so in order to truly have that to give and, and to be prepared to share that message, um, I, I felt like I personally had to work, walk through that process of connecting with God, admitting that I was powerless, going through my inventory, setting right my wrongs, continuing to take a personal inventory, connecting with God. And then once I have that connection and I'm tapped into his power and his work, which, which it is his work, it's not mine, thank goodness, because I'd ruin it. Um, then I have something to give. And then it's up to me to open my mouth and to share. And that's where some of the coolest experiences happen, where it's having an opportunity to be an instrument. And it's nothing to do with me and I'm so great. It's God's so great. And look what he's done for me. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. I know it's through the atonement of Jesus Christ that this thing happens. That's the only way it happens. And luckily, thank goodness that we've got a tactical, hands-on, step-by-step approach, because I like to complicate things, being an addict, um, to where it's, it's, it's a simple program, um, but it requires work. I like the acronym ARP, Action Required Program. I have to do something. Um, but that's my testimony, and, uh, and I share that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.